All right. Hello, hello. What's happening, Reraw Nation? James Hoff here with special guest Ryan Howell, who not only is a friend of mine, um, but you've probably heard him on uh, previous episodes of the uh, Reraw podcast. And uh, now, since that time, has become a business partner and is injecting, injecting a lot of greatness into uh, what we're doing over here. And I've, I've suckered him into, uh, you know, to... To rambling with me if you're just tuning in for the first time on a ramble session basically what we do is just kind of shoot the shit um this is a pretty casual conversation um of course i have a you know we always have a couple of things that are that are on our mind but we just kind of let the conversation go and uh and just see where it takes us and and head out from there so anyway um what's happening in real estate news on your side anything special going on over there or uh anything that you've been seeing on uh online or in the social media world or in the news or uh in the happenings in your neighborhood that that we should bring up or should i take charge and... uh comps comps are up comps are up uh we're considering being homeless here uh... <laughs> rich homeless people yeah yeah why not i mean why not have a million bucks when uh, when the prices are the way they're at um but yeah, Southern California still kind of uh, trending up as far as what I'm seeing, um, which is a little bit concerning. But you know, it's just the way it is right now. So, so why is it concerning? Like from okay, so two different angles on that. On the one side, real estate agents sit there and they say it either is or is not concerning. Is concerning because at some point, like things stop going up and there's a correction, whether it's a huge crash or not is irrelevant. There's a correction, right? And the market mm -hmm. might soften a bit. And then, and so they go, well, that's why it's concerning. But then the other side is no, it's not concerning at all. There's no inventory. Prices are still going up. There's big demand. Like even if demand softens a little bit, it's still above average. And so, you know, real estate agents are happy. They're having the best, you know, best years of their life or best year of their, their career so far. Um, where is it on the consumer side? I mean, is it dangerous on the consumer side, in your opinion, or is it well, pretty? Well, I mean, I think that sometimes we fall into this pit of um, evaluating the market based on our needs um, and not yeah. taking a look at the broader picture, which is the actual market. Um, in order for the market to do what it's doing right now, um, you need to have more and more participants, buyers that are willing to pay more and more money. Um, and uh, I mean, this, this can be kind of a, a pretty deep rabbit hole, but you kind of need to think about, okay, well, where, like, you know, generally speaking uh, from the market's point of view, where's the money coming from? Um, and I think there's a, a couple like pretty easy answers there. One is that there's been a lot of asset price appreciation. So um, if you own real estate in different parts of the country, and like, let's say you, you want to get um, into an area with better weather, let's say, um, then, you know, your rentals in Ohio uh, are looking pretty good to sell and cash out. Um, those those pieces of property have appreciated tremendously. I know the Ohio market, you know, decently well, especially around Columbus. And they've done really well. Um, particularly, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people moving out to the country, too. So even the even the country homes that in the early 2000s were selling for um you know $150,000 uh, mm -hmm. for 7 acres and a farmhouse and a pole barn and a, and a pond uh, those are those are now creeping up toward a million dollar properties uh, so 
Yeah. There's been a lot happening in, you know, different parts of the country. And, you know, that could be uh, one of the explanations is that, you know, hey, there's whether it's real estate or other things, there are, there is inflation in the uh, price of assets that people own. And so they're going to more desirable areas. And, you know, as I just, you know, said, like that desirable area doesn't have to be Southern California. It could be, hey, uh, I'm tired of living in the city, uh, you know, where we had all the riots and all this stuff happening last year. Um, let's move somewhere else. And so that yeah. you know, places like Wyoming and, and, you know, outside of city centers, we're seeing a lot of movement there. Um, the other obvious thing in terms of asset price appreciation or what I like to call asset inflation um, really happens uh, in the stock market. So, you know, save for, you know, March of 2020, uh, when we had a incredible uh, liquidity crisis and we kind of had a really big drop in the, in the market, in the stock market, that is, um, everything's gone up from there um won't get into the reasons why because that's kind of a whole different topic but uh <laughs> generally speaking the asset appreciation has uh certainly taken place and uh we didn't really see it in real estate because uh contrary to what some people may have you believe real estate's actually a very illiquid um asset uh so it takes some time to sell you, you can't just say hey you know market's up let's sell and then in an hour you're you're sold you, you've got a you, you've at the very least you've got a couple of weeks of lead time even in a really hot market so, yeah to be able to formally close on it yeah uh unless you're exchanging gold bars with your neighbor uh it, you know it's just not going to be happening so even then there's a lot of paperwork so yeah there's there's a lot there's a lot to consider but the the general issue here is that we're defining the laws of physics um to some degree um you know to what the the amplitude of that degree is kind of i think that the debate and that's kind of where agents come in and they're like well you know in this market um you know things are going really really well um we don't see a reason for it to stop southern california is a really good example of that because we have the uh we have the monopoly on the world's greatest weather um the driest and yeah. most temperate area on the planet so um if you take us out of the mix and say, okay, well, like put them to the side, um, there's other, there are other parts of the country, particularly as winter is setting in and a lot of people that have, you know, moved up to Montana from, from Southern California are going to have some rude awakenings, um, as to the nature of living in, uh, the tundra. So, um, you know, there's, it doesn't take a whole lot of, of folks to say, Hey, this really isn't for me. I'm really not in the buying mood um nor do i have the the assets or the the cash to to really support it so i'm just going to be out for now like i'm going to stop buying um and so if you hear that you know from the market in general that's when prices start to go lower um great example of that is you've got like at least 30 40 percent price appreciation in homes around us um you know there's only so many people that can Put down a million bucks for a home and it's it's not a lot <laughs> so yeah, when, yeah when those folks are done buying uh that's when the price starts to come down and uh when price starts to come down then things get more competitive and that's where i think the agents are going to feel a lot of squeeze because they're going to be looking at uh you know remembering how easy it was and now, now it's hard and so we're always having this like relative uh type of discussion about like oh 
how's the market? Well, compared to what? You know, compared to the eighties, it's easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Compared compared to uh, you know, yesterday, you know, that's a different story. So Yeah, and I think you know, I think that it's interesting when you start talking about the ease of the market, right? I mean, a lot of a lot of what's happening right now, agents are having to justify making what they make on a deal, charging, you know, certain percentages. And I'm not just so we're really clear. If I if I use any examples, it's just simply an example. There's we all know that commissions are 100 percent negotiable. So there's no there is no standard, if you will. Uh, I think agents in some ways have been trained to expect certain amounts of commission. But we're seeing a lot of agents having to justify that in today's world more so than they've had to in the past and it's because this perception on the market uh, from from sellers in particular is that it's just so damn easy to sell a house why should i pay you uh any kind of money and then on the reverse side you got buyers agents who are just being raked over the coals and having to show 300 homes to get like a freaking offer accepted and they're sitting there going well shit like we deserve to be making even more than the listing agents. But again, the perception of the seller is, is, are you kidding me? Why should I pay either agent very much money? I understand that both of you might have to do some work and buyer's agents might have to work really hard, but demand is so high that I just don't have any issue or, or difficulty attracting people to my house. So, you know, justify your commissions. Right. And I think mm -hmm. that, I don't know, it's kind of interesting, like on the commission side of things, I, I think a lot of his, listing agents are, you know, at a point now where they're having to defend themselves and they're having to come into like, well, I have to be able to put food on the table. And like, we're starting to see like a lot of really weak um, justifications come out to try and earn that money. And I, I've been telling sellers, for example, that, you know, it's really the same amount of work. It's just the, the place or the point that the work is done has shifted, right? So instead of me spending all of my time, money and energy doing all of the, you know, the marketing for two months or three months or whatever it may be, uh, in a more normal market, I'm spending all of my time like sifting through offers, making sure that I'm, you know, contacting loan officers, we're cross qualifying people and we're doing like a lot more like front end work. Right. And when you start explaining some of the the in intricacies of that, I think that sellers understand the the justification of the commission. But I think people are like really reaching for it now. You know, it's kind of like, well, why do I need to pay a real estate agent if I can just stick a sign in the front yard like from that I got from Home Depot that says my house is now for sale and FISBO it mm -hmm. like we're seeing a higher rate of FISBOs now. Um, and we're seeing a lot of people, like I said, question, why is an agent worth what they're worth? Well, that that comes into play dramatically, especially you know, when we say such a large, you know, delta in what people were paying three or four years ago versus now. Um, so it it used to be kind of like this incremental, you know, change. And then over time, it seems a little bit bigger, but, um, you know, even as a percentage, even if the percentages stay the same, um, in terms of a commission, you know, the, the actual sale prices is, is a lot more. So, you know, there's, there's kind of a lot of dynamics happening there, but, you know, you're also, you can't ignore the elephant in the room, which is the, you know, the Zillow's and the, the red fence of the world that, um, you know, essentially, and, you know, maybe they have an argument here, which is they, they basically want agents to be on salary. Maybe the, they get a little bit of bonus if they do, uh, you know, higher volume, if they have less risk, you know, that they're, um, they don't get a bunch of lawsuits, that kind of thing. Um, but that's, that's kind of where I'm seeing everything going. And then in, in the same way that you know, I've said this for a long time, like travel agents, you never hear about travel agents anymore. Why? Because 
they they were dematerialized um, through Expedia and you know Priceline, etc. However, they still exist. So um, and the ones that I know make a lot of money. And the reason it becomes a very like custom experience, like a yeah, the, the yeah like a white a glove kind of deal is because they don't even have to justify their quote unquote commission because it's it's built into the price of the trip anyway. But they provide so much freaking value that it's like, well, hey, if I want to have a wedding in Belize, um, Expedia yeah. is not going to be the place you go. Like you're you're going to want uh, somebody that really knows what they're doing. And that's, you know, that's the opportunity is that you can as an agent, you can say, OK, you know, the salary, there's going to be like a base level salary, um, you know, Redfin, Zillow type of an agent. Mm-hmm. And then here's the here's your opportunity to to up your game in terms of what you're offering uh, your clients. So they say like a real estate agent and an average real estate agent will make I don't have the number off the top of my head, but we can look it up like 40 or 50 thousand dollars a year. Right. Mm-hmm. And. I don't know, like if you look at that and go, OK, well, what if all agents had a salary and the average agent was making uh, a sixty thousand dollar a year salary? I mean, I'm not saying that it's like the way that we should go, but just for the sake of like, you know, poking the bear here, like what if the what if real estate agents on average made sixty thousand dollars a year on salary and you could still have like your top tier, uh, you know, high level agents who do, you know, 50, 80, 100, 200 million dollars worth of production uh, could still do their their white glove service like you see, you know, travel agents, if you will. Right. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the agents who are just kind of dealing with the the normal average transaction, if you will, are kind of making a salary, which seems to me like every, all these people, all these agents, I guess where I'm going with this is it's like, we talk about, we talk about like the freedom and, and, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. And it's like the sex appeal of like the entrepreneur. And I don't actually think that most agents are, I don't think most agents fall into the category of entrepreneur. Um, But regardless, The yeah, I mean, some of them have the mindset, if you will, but the majority don't fall into that category. It's an independent contractor job. It's it's more like a it's more like an like an outside uh, sales position, right? Like that mm-hmm. you would just be in an independent uh, outside sales agency that works for any particular company, right? And you know, I think that we we start blurring the lines between what like an independent contractor is versus an entrepreneur versus a wantrepreneur versus, you know, and, and just really trying to figure out like what the value is. All these people are like, well, I define my life and I, I take my own vacations and I pick how much time I work. And I, and it's just right. like, great. <laughs> like what's the, that's, that's awesome. Like, and you, and you show off this like major sex appeal to this great occupation that you have. And, uh, and in reality, you're making like $15,000 a year. And you're trying to trick the world into the the fact that like you're doing more than you actually are. And it just kind of like, I don't know, it it almost seems to devalue it, I guess. Right. Like if everybody's just rolling in dough in real estate, then maybe agents could afford to make a little less. I mean, I I mean, that that gets into a lot more of the goal setting stuff where it's like. Like, what do you actually want? Right. So, like, you know, I know and have, you know, at. I've known agents that are on both sides of these spectrums. So ones that have struggled for a long time, um, had a lot of trouble generating business. Um, and then ones that, you know, you look at them and you're like, how do you like, it just, it just seems like you just attract money just left and right and deals just come to you. Um, obviously there's plenty of nuance between those two. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, 
what I kind of notice is that the people that are actually living the lifestyle that they want don't really talk about it as much. They just kind of do their thing and, and they love what they're what they're doing. And uh, either they have done a lot of training and put in the time to get better at selling, which at the end of the day is what you know folks want, especially like in the high end market around here. Um, they're not interested in the fact that you can list on like all the different things that, you know, a lot of agents will put together in a, in a pitch deck or in a listing presentation, whatever you want to call it, um, even on the buyer side. Yeah. They're, they're not so much interested in the standards. So, like, of course, you're going to list on all these things. Of course, you have exclusive access to um, to off market listings. Like if you don't or you don't have a strategy for that, then like you're not even remotely in the game. What they what they want is just like an easy experience. And that's that's why Zillow and Redfin have become the dominant players, especially in the data world, um, is because they provide an easier experience. I mean, go listen to any MLS presentation at your local board, and especially when they show off the technology, it's insanely ridiculous how bad the technology is. Um, they've got 10 different yeah. apps to accomplish basically the same thing, which is to sell a freaking house. Like to get a deal done, they've got like 15 apps. Um, it depends on what you're doing. It depends on the type of reason. Now, like this is all kind of garbage stuff. Um, and so, the, but the re the whole reason that you know Redfin and, and Zillow and the rest have done you know fairly well um, in the consumer market um, and in you know having agents more or less fund uh, the entire venture um, is is that they made it a lot easier. And that's Real, that should be like a really big light bulb for people. People want an easy deal. They they want it to be. They want to enjoy the experience as much as possible, or said differently, uh, they want to hate it uh, as least as possible. The most amount, uh, least amount of uh, pain and the most amount of pleasure. Um, but most of the time, they're just going. You know, most people are actually operating in a. You know, just don't make it hurt mentality instead of like i want this to be amazing um so i mean that that's kind of like one of those things you probably heard a lot um like in different sales presentations and um and coaching and that's like you know people want that they're, they're either doing one of two things they're moving away from from pain or toward pleasure um vast more the vast majority of people are living in a lot of pain and they just want it to stop um and so you know that that's kind of why you know, easy interfaces, simple software, simple ways to interact with agents um, are yeah. the most important. So I'm kind of manufacturing where I want this to go because I because I, I think there's an interesting conversation to have about the value of an agent and the commissions that they charge. And, you know, whether it's a, a salaried position or not, uh, I think there's a lot to a lot of interesting dialogue that can happen around the, the value of an agent and the perceived value of an agent and whether an agent values themselves more than the customer does, which, which let's just be honest, really seems to be the case. Agents think they're agents. We all, we all think we're worth a lot. Right. And the, the reality is, is, you know, it's the whole like, well, know your worth conversation. I right? mean, but, you are because you're getting paid thousands and thousands of dollars to close one deal. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Turn, turn around and just take a quick look at any other uh, sales position. James, I know that you did a lot of sales with sports equipment and that. Yeah. Um, I've got a lot of friends that are in sales of, you know, high-tech equipment, measurement, um, very specialty type of equipment for, you know, 
natural gas and, and oil plants, um, chemical manufacturing, like the deals they put together are like millions and millions of dollars. They're huge. Yeah. So like, and I mean, but that just, that just kind of goes toward, you know, what, what are the agents that are most successful doing? They are either doing a lot of deals in a place like Indiana, like no offense, but there's, it's a lower sure. cost of living there. So you've got to do, you got to do to be like the top agent in Indiana, you better be doing like a couple hundred deals a year. Sure. So if you're not set up to do that and you're in a place where, you know, the median home price is in like the low couple hundred thousand dollars, um, then that that's where you need to be in Southern California. You need to do five and you're done. Oh yeah. Re so and real so, conversation, so like, by the way, you're getting paid a lot of money for what you're doing. Oh yeah. It, so real conversation that happened. I was at an event and this probably, I don't know, it was probably five or six years ago at this point, but I was at an event. I was talking to this other agent and uh, just kind of shooting the shit. And it was cool. Get to meet people from all different parts of the country. And, um, you know, he was telling me I was pretty proud of himself. He just hit $10 million in production. It was a huge fucking deal. And like, and I was like, dude, that's admirable. Like most yeah. agents don't do $10 million of production, let alone see the income that can come from that and realize how incredible that, that life can be. Right. And, um, you know, he was from, I, I, I feel like he was either from North or South Carolina, if memory serves correct. And average home price significantly less than where we are in Southern California. And mm -hmm. I said, Hey, so, you know, just as a curiosity, cause I, I have no idea what your world looks like, like to do $10 million in uh, sales volume, like how many, how many houses did you have to sell for that? And the guy looked at me, he goes, uh, let's see, 72. And I have a couple more under contract. And I said, so just to be clear, you had to do 72 transactions to do $10 million worth of sales volume. He goes, yeah. And he go, and then of course he, you know, he's probing and asking me like, so what about you? Like, what's your business like? And I said, well, similar, you know, at the time, I, I think I had just closed a little over 11 million that year. And he was like, how, what does that look like for you? How many houses did you sell? And I was like, 10. And like, yeah. you know, jaw hit the floor and he goes, 10 houses. And I was like, yeah, man, but you also have to keep in mind. And, and I'm not, I'm not shitting on it and saying that real estate's easier in a different part of the country. I'm just saying you have to keep in mind, like where the, where the, the cost transfer is, right? Like, like, for example, there may be on average less agents per capita where he is, and he might make less per transaction, but client acquisition cost may be lower. We have 44 plus thousand agents in Orange County alone, which is, I don't know. I mean, I think that's a lot of real estate agents. That's probably more agents yeah. than some uh, multiple state regions combined have. I mean, we have like mm -hmm. 15,000 agents in our local freaking board alone. But so we have 44,000 agents in Orange County. Sure, prices are incredibly high out here. So you can really bring home a lot of a lot of money off of one transaction. But I would argue that there's a proportional uh, there, there's a proportional difference, like somewhere in it, there's a trade off, I guess, is, is a better way to put it, meaning I might make more per deal and have to do less deals. But my client acquisition cost could be exponentially higher. So it might. If you really look at like how many leads do I have to get to get an appointment, how many appointments to get a contract, how many contract or a listing, how many you know listings to close a deal, I might have you know five thousand dollars in acquisition costs alone, and then tack on you know two to five thousand dollars in 
marketing and all the other shit that you got to do once you actually have the deal. So I could be $7,000 into a client. Sure. I, I might yield a 15 or 20 or 30 or $40,000 return on it, but, and I actually don't know the answer to this. So, you know, if anybody listening wants to, you know, shoot in and tell me like, what's your, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a market where your average price point is $300,000 per transaction or less, I'd be really curious to know what is your, what is your average acquisition cost per uh, closed transaction? What's your average client acquisition cost? And I, and don't come back and be like, Oh, I get, I get leads for a dollar and 50 cents. No, that's not what I'm asking. It's a real business question <laughs> of all the money you spend getting all of your prospects. Like, at the end of a closed transaction, how much money do you have to put out to get one close before you get one closed deal? I don't know. I, yeah, I'd be really like, curious. I mean, in the marketing world, cost per acquisition is a much more important number than cost per click, right? Like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Dude, I, I can spend, you know, two, three, four dollars per click or whatever it is, but the, you know, cost to actually acquire that customer, um, you know, is going to be north of a hundred bucks. I mean, so, shit, how many hours? How many days, how many months worth of time have you and I talked about this kind of stuff for reraw? You know, it's like, well, yeah. You well, know? plus, even just, you know, acquisitions also a relative term. So is it a listing presentation? Is mm. it a signed yeah. listing? Is it a closed deal? Uh, um, I, I think that we're all kind of have this bias to uh, make ourselves look better than we actually are in terms of the performance there yeah. and what we're actually spending. Um, because, you know, I think that if you're measuring it based on anything other than a closed deal, then you don't have a great, you know, input output number. Oh, totally uh, agree. Totally agree. So, okay. So I want to, I want to jump into, I'm going to kind of uh, do a rough transition into um, something that's been on my mind. So the, the whole know your worth conversation, like what's a, what's a real estate agent worth. And I've literally like, even now, like I've, I've got posts that are pulled up here, in different uh, groups on social media that are like, you know, sometimes people will just come in and say, know your worth folks, or stop making concessions. You're devaluing the business or, um, you know, what's a, not that anybody should be asking what, what commission should I expect to make on X, Y, Z deal, but uh, mm -hmm. people do it all the time. And then folks come in and they say, know your worth. It's the discount brokers that are ruining the industry. So, there's a few different ways I want to attack this, but I, I went through an exercise that I kind of made up the other day, and I think you'd be interested to hear about it. Uh, and I want to get your feedback on it because I haven't told you exactly what I did. But um, what, like, I guess the first question I would have is how does one establish what their worth is? Like, how the hell do you know if, if like, we sit there and go, well, it's the discount brokers that are ruining the business? How can you say that somebody's a discount broker? when we all set our own commissions and that discount broker in theory could be making literally the same margin as somebody charging three or four times as much, but they run their business more streamlined and efficiently. So like, how do we really know what a discount broker is? How does it like, I just feel like it's a business decision to choose what commission you want to ask for. How do, so I guess I want to get your opinion on that first. How does somebody know, when they're up against a quote unquote discount broker, like where's the threshold of what's a legit full service, full price broker versus a quote unquote discount broker? Uh, I mean, to me, a, a discount broker is 
objectively just going after as much volume as possible. So you can think of it as, um, as two different markets. You have discount brokers uh, going the commodity route, um, which is essentially a race to the bottom. So in some ways, people are accurate in saying, you know, hey, they're ruining the industry. Well, I mean, it, it kind of depends. Uh, they're changing the industry. Um, so it kind of depends on how you look at that. Uh, you know, the Internet, you know, ruined the industry because now and lawyers ruined the yeah. industry. Uh, yeah. Frivolous lawsuits ruined the industry. Um, inspectors ruined the industry because every one of those things marked a pretty big change in like how a deal gets done mm -hmm. instead of a card table and you know on the front lawn with two people uh now we have a 30-day process with like people getting paid you know upwards of 50 or sixty thousand dollars by the time everything's done yeah um you know how do we buy homes before the 30-year mortgage uh <laughs> like yeah things have been like if you actually want to know the, the real problem i mean that that's my view is that 30-year mortgage killed the industry it just it's just been a dying a slow death um, but the bottom line is that the just to get back to this idea between uh, discount brokers are going uh, for volume and therefore they are in a commodity market. So they're they're in a race toward the bottom to the cheapest uh, way that that things can get done. So and by cheapest, of course, we have to we have to kind of understand where the consumer is coming from and where the agents are coming from. Mm -hmm. because the the cheapest person in town and just like the old meme goes like you know if you if you want to uh if you think a, a professional is expensive go hire an amateur yeah because uh, then they're gonna have to go pick up the pieces i mean we've seen this countless times especially in the inspection industry because we see uh, such a large volume of transactions relative to any other agent you know even the most experienced agent in the world uh, can't even touch like an average inspector in terms Absolutely. of what they've seen happen. And uh, in that sense, you know, you're going to see issues like uh, outright fraud. Uh, you can see like insurance fraud uh, being recommended by an agent uh, who doesn't know any better because, hey, they're trying to get this deal done. It's like, hey, there's a home warranty. Everything's going to be covered. Right. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's not going to be covered if it was disclosed for sure. Uh, you, you discussing this as disclosure, for example. Um, so there, there's things like that um, that are, you know, quote, ruining the industry and, and creating a lot of a lot of expense on the back end. So what we're really talking about is like front end discount, like get the deal done, doesn't matter, um, you know, kind of deals. And, you know, in some instances, that's OK. Uh, take a look at a lot of the investment money that's come in from, you know, China and other uh, other foreign, you know, investors. They're going to come in and buy a property. Why? Because they're trying to move money and move assets to a different area, to a different locality. They're mm -hmm. playing geographical arbitrage. Um, so they don't actually care if, like, there's a bunch of expenses on the back end because it's not like that's kind of part of their calculation anyway it plays into their risk model. So if they've got 30 or 40 different properties, like they don't care if the water heater needs to be replaced in, in three months. Right. Um, right. So, so in some ways, like these brokerages kind of came out of a, a necessity um, for people who just didn't want to bother with it. 
the problem is that people conflate, you know, what a real, like a standard real estate deal, which of course there is none, um, with, oh, let's just get this thing done as quickly and cheaply as possible because I'm already stretching my, my budget just to get into this, this house to begin with, or just to get out of this house, you know, Hey, I, we, we got to sell, like, uh, we, we want to do it the cheapest way possible. We're tired of doing the FISBO route. Um, and then the other side of that market would be the premium, which, which is, you know, Hey, if you're selling, uh, you know, $10 million piece of property on the ocean, um, a discount broker is not like they can get the job done, but they're not going to attract the same kind of buyers. Um, it's not the experience that the sellers want necessarily. Um, there's a lot of nuance in terms of how you deal with high net worth individuals and, you know, get around their schedule. And there, there's all kinds of stuff where, you know, that's kind of where I'm a huge proponent of like, hey, if if that's where you're you're operating, like there's a huge ability to be able to adapt to and provide, uh, you know, excellent services to to folks that are, you know, that in a non-standard way, let's say. Um, and I know that you've got a, a bunch of strategies and have done some pretty cool work in that regard. Um, but but it's it's about getting creative. Um, and so the more creative you are in terms of, you know, working within the rules, of course, but the more creative you are with, you know, the approach to the clients, now you're moving out of the discount brokerages and you're basically just playing in a completely different sandbox because so, while, while they're ruining the market, you're, you're kind of creating your own thing. So, uh, you know, don't, don't complain that somebody's peeing in the pool if you can just get out of it and go get another one. Yeah, I think, so I guess what, what it really brings to mind and what the type of question that it really brings up for me then is like how many agents and brokerages alike right because because a discount brokerage we've seen we've seen plenty of them fail because they didn't actually do the most basic business practice in the world which is to figure out what your bottom line is what's your exactly what we talked about earlier what's your acquisition cost right like right. what at what point are you no longer profitable and it's funny because there's this idea that like discount brokers just don't make any money. And I would argue that that's actually not the case at all. They make damn good money. And like you said, a lot of it might be volume based, but the idea that a discount brokerage isn't actually making a reasonable margin, even on one transaction is some is kind of interesting. If the, if the, you know, it, what, the cliche, I guess would be like business breeds business, right? movement promotes movement and if that's true then more business promotes more business which means your acquisition cost in theory could go down and you get more experience more experienced agents are technically worth more but they're adding more value for less i mean doesn't mm -hmm. mean they're not making good money yeah you can you can do it and you know to to the, my same point you could do it in both ways like you could be a discount agent let's just, let's just take the the brokerages out of it you could be a discount agent do decent volume, but then also figure out what does the short-term rental market look like? Well, mm -hmm. Like, how do you, if, because, okay, what, like, what is somebody who wants to get something done quickly actually after? Like, they might tell you, oh, well, my problem is that I need to sell my house because I need money. And if you, if you stop there and say, okay, sounds good, we'll just do this thing that you're asking, um, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice because the, the better question is like, why? why are you selling? Okay. Well, wh why is that? Or why and keep asking why 
um, this gets back to like the one of the reasons Toyota is such a successful company in terms of manufacturing is because when things break on their assembly line or they have some issue, they ask the question, they ask the question why five layers deep? Because they're not really interested in the fact that, oh, well, the door broke. Oh, well, it was a bad part. Okay, why? Well, the supplier screwed us over. Okay, why? Is it a bad contract? Okay, well, yeah, there's a problem in this contract and here's the deal with this raw material. Okay, why is that? And they, they essentially get down to this, to the actual problem. I mean, it's kind of like you go to the doctor and like you think that your problem is that your nose is running where, you know, you could just have a, a virus, you could have, you know, a, a bacterial infection that needs like a better treatment or you could need surgery. So with, I mean, this is going kind of a little bit off the reservation, but the whole point here is that you really need to be asking why in order to solve a problem. And right. that's essentially how money gets made, uh, whether it's in real estate or anything else. And I think that without too much looking, you could, you could look at a lot of successful uh, brokerages or agents in your area, and they're typically solving a problem that's deeper than, hey, I want to sell a house fast. Um, hey, um, why do you want to sell a house fast? Or, hey, you know, I, I want to move to a different part of the country. Why do you want to do that? And in asking those questions, you can kind of, um, A, connect more with people, um, you know, let them know that you actually care more about them as a person and they won't be more likely to refer and do business with you in the future. Um, but you also get an opportunity to be like, oh, you actually need a referral to, you know, somebody in North Carolina. Let me get on that. Let me see if I can solve this problem for you. You may not be able to be the direct solution to their problem. Um, but I think the more people understand of like what's happening there, the better off they're going to be anyway. Because uh, they're actually going to be you know, solving a problem that, that matters to the person that's going to be giving them the money. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come at this from kind of a, instead of asking, well, I guess the first question is then why are you worth that, right? Like, so know your worth, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this whole idea, and I see this all the time. Like, see all the time somebody goes, oh, yeah, the seller, um, buyer came back with a re ridiculous request for repairs. Seller's unwilling to pay it. Um, you know, it's going to cost a couple thousand bucks. There's 40 grand to be made on this damn deal. Like, I think I'm going to throw in a couple grand and then people are like, don't do it. Know your worth. Like, you know, it's not your deal. Like this is bullshit, you know? And they get like, you see like people get angry about it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and for those of you who are rolling your eyes on the, on the, oh, well, if I was making 40 grand on a deal, sure. I'd throw in 2000 bucks. Okay. Same would, would apply have. to <laughs> same would apply to the $10,000, uh, commission check, right? Like if you're getting a, mm -hmm. if you're getting a commission and you're ultimately making more than what the cost is, uh, to put in, it's like, it's a business decision, right? Like I, I remember a transaction that I was doing out in, uh, in the desert, and it's a couple hours away, okay, from where we're, it's, it's a uh, Palm, Palm Desert, Palm Springs, whatever, somewhere out there. And um, so a couple hours away on a good day, if there's traffic, you can just like sign, sign the whole day off. Like you're just, you're toast, just in your driving alone. And then you got to do your showings and all that crap. And long story short of what happened is we get into a transaction where we're in the middle of it, comes down to request for repairs and turns out that there's an issue with the pool and the pool issue was big enough that um it was going to be two thousand three hundred and five dollars to be exact uh to make that pool work again and nobody wanted to budge should have been covered by home warranty and it was going to be covered by home warranty but 
we weren't going to be able to get a response knowing how long those damn companies take to do it anything uh, mm -hmm. we weren't going to be able to get a formal response for them or commitment from them until long after our contingencies had to be up and we we gave ourselves enough time to negotiate the the uh, the request for repairs before we came up against our contingency deadline whatever so we request a $2,305 credit uh, towards the repair of the pool to which the seller basically flip, flipped us the bird and said, go to hell. So I said, look, I'm not going to lose, you know, a, a $18,000 commission check over 2,305 bucks, especially with all the time I've already got invested in this. And based on the amount that I know that I make already, just by simply dividing out, not even what I think I'm worth, but what I know that I make actually by dividing the number of hours that I actually work and how much money uh, you know, I make every year, I'm sitting there going, okay, for me just to get back in my truck, drive out there, piss the time, the gas, and the, you know, the money and all the stuff it's going to take to go out there to cancel this deal, show them more houses, get back under contract, go back out for more inspections or more this, more that, right? It was going to cost me a hell of a lot more than $2,305. So it was well worth the risk. I just wrote the check and said, here we go. And we're good, right? And you get shit on for doing stuff like that because people are like, I can't believe you would spend your own money to do that. And I look at that as I'm trying to buy my time. I'm buying my time back. That doesn't make me a discount broker or a, an agent without a spine. That makes me a real business person who says, well, yeah, I valued that time at a certain amount. I know what it's going to cost me to get the deal back in to, or get the client back into contract on another transaction. And if the cost of me cutting that check is less than the cost to get them into and through another transaction, I'm going to spend the money all day. Yeah. We that's don't look just, at things that way. That's just stupid um, to think that way because I mean, look at any, it's like, why does Best Buy air condition their, you know, why do they air condition the, their facilities? I mean, it's just a waste of money. People are just going to come in there for a short period of time anyway. Like, what's the big deal? It's like, because they know that part of doing business is that you're going to have to make accommodations and uh, allow your employees and customers to operate in, uh, in comfort. Um, yeah. And that's going to cost you some money. Like, it is a literal cost of doing business. Um, the advantage with real estate is that, you know, it's not every single time. Uh, you don't have to make those concessions every single time. But sometimes it's not that big of a deal. I was involved in a transaction where uh, there are some pretty standard safety things that came up in an inspection. Um, really, I mean, they were life safety things. Uh, listing agent was super bent out of shape about it. And we're talking about an $850,000 deal. And she was super bent out, of the shape, bent out of shape on something that the solution to which was maybe 600 bucks, maybe. And it goes back to this thing of like, wow, it's not my job. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it is because you're the only you're the only one standing in the way. Uh, you're well, the how often that... does an agent ask a seller or a, or a client to make a concession? Why is it that why is it that the people that we work with that that we're fortunate enough to be under contract with, whether it's a seller or a buyer? We're always we are literally always asking our client. And I know this is a controversial topic. There's some people out there that are probably you know, like fuming right now, canceling appointments because they're so mad at what I'm talking about that they're going to they're going to cancel their appointments with their clients right now and go back home and write an email and tell me what a piece of shit I am. But the reality is, is why is it that we are so quick to ask our buyers and sellers to make concessions? But as business people, 
we struggle so much, in my opinion, because we have this ego match with ourselves where it's like, I'm not, there's no way I will. I, this is the sword I'm going to die on. Like I'm not or fall on. I'm not going to make that concession through hell or high water. Well, the reality is that those concessions are going to become uh, more and more inspect, expected of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and this goes back to like ruining real estate. Um, you know, real estate, any industry, it doesn't really matter what it is. It's always changing the expectations, um, the prices, uh, the types of services. They're all fluxing and changing all the time. Uh, so you need you have to understand that because, you know, like uh, an agent that did business 50 years ago could not survive in today's market, not even for a minute. I mean, people who can't they can't operate email like they're not going to make it. Sorry. Uh, so you, that's essentially what you're looking at, because you're, that these things are just becoming more and more prevalent. And part of it comes with the expectation of like, well, you're getting paid all this money. So like, what's the what's the big deal? Like, are you too afraid to take a haircut? Because... Yeah, I, but hold on, though, because uh, let me back up to like my very my very first transaction I ever did ever. OK, I took that thing at at what did I, I think. What did I list that that damn thing for a point? The the very first listing I ever had. Yeah, I listed it at a point. Right. And, and And there's no listen. There's no set commission. So I just transparently, this isn't even like a discussion on what you should or shouldn't do. This is just, I I I took a point on the listing side on that. (laughs) I literally, quote unquote, bought business, right? Now I did $180,000 in GCI my first year. I spent 60 grand in concessions and commission reductions over the course of that year to come out to a 120 at the end of it. And I did it because it bought me more business and I doubled the next year, right? Like it just, it's sensible. But the one criticism I got from every, almost every single agent, except for the biggest players who never tell you this, the biggest criticism I got from other agents is, dude, if you discount once, what do they say? If you discount once, you're always going to be a discount agent now. And my thought was, first and foremost, it's not a discount. It's I, I'm a brand new agent. I'm literally worth less than other people like <laughs> I don't know as much. I haven't navigated the transaction. And even if I know a ton about real estate, I still haven't proven my worth. So I'm going to, I will absolutely reduce my commission so I can do something. Right. And all these Mm -hmm. big agents don't discount, know your worth, know your worth. You want to know why they tell everybody to do that is because they spend all their freaking time discounting. And any big agent out there that tells me they've never discounted, you're either a liar or an anomaly. Because the reality is, is it requires reductions in commission or concessions somewhere j- to bring deals together or to hold deals together. I don't care if it's a dollar or or ten thousand dollars; it doesn't matter. But I never, ever, ever had a problem charging more money to another client because of whatever happened in my previous deal. Because nobody knows. And you go, oh well, they they'll talk to their friends or they'll talk to whatever. And I just tell people, yeah, even if they do, I literally will go to their friend and say, look, the re- I, I literally charged this this person's father and mother more money than I charged him. And they knew what I charged them. And and yeah. they said, well, how come we don't get the same deal? I said, it's a different deal. 
totally different transaction. Different. Every deal is different. I evaluate the needs of each deal individually, and this is what I've come up with. Let Let me ask you a question because I want to I want to tell you about this crazy exercise I did. So, what do you think? I asked this question on on one of my social media groups. What do you think the average amount of time is that? And I'll just use a listing agent, buyer's agent, whole other discussion, but concepts the same. The question is know your worth. And then the other question would be, how do you establish what your worth is? And if we're really going to back into a number, I did this stupid little exercise and I thought, all right, well, let's kind of figure out like what what an agent in theory could be valued at, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you think in average, on average, a listing agent, how much time do you think they spend on one listing from, from all the marketing and acquisition time that they spend all the way through, you know, the comps, the listing presentation, everything you have to do during a transaction to close of escrow all the way down to the time that it takes you to go pick up your signs and your check and the, all that shit. What do you think start to finish roughly is? Um, I'm going to go between the middle of my two ranges and 60 hours. 60 hours. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so 40 to 80 is kind of where you're at. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I kind of ran this a bunch of different ways and I asked, I asked a, one of my social media groups and, and, and a couple others that aren't mine. And I said, how much time do you spend? And the, the answers ranged from, you know, from five hours to like 50 plus hours and the five hours, I just can't get behind. I, f- I almost feel like it was a misunderstanding <laughs> of the question. Like if you're five hours, then I want you to email me and I want you to break it down. And then we're going to get you on the podcast. If this is actually legit, because I want to know, I, I just want to know your magic. I, I, mm-hmm. It'll create efficiency. You're, you're worth millions of dollars and we should build a course together. So um, so I kind of I looked at it and I kind of started breaking it down and I thought, all right, so you know, what's, my, what's like my marketing time and how much mm-hmm. time do I have to put into like my ads and prepping materials and all that kind of shit? And I was like, all right, let's, let's put that under um, kind of miscellaneous. Let's put that, all that stuff under miscellaneous hours. So between... Uh, that stuff, I said, maybe six hours worth of actual dedicated time. And, and by the way, if you're going to break out a calculator and do all this with me, uh, on the, on the other side of the airwaves here, then, then relax. Cause I promise you, it's not going to be perfect math. I'm giving some estimates of a really silly activity I came up with, but I promise it's kind of worth your attention here. So, all right. I said, so comps and listing prep, a couple hours there. The actual mm-hmm. listing presentation could go anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours. So I estimate everything on the long end photography if you're doing stills and matterport and video and all that shit three hours uh, a couple hours to input into the mls and really do it the right way open houses let's assume there were there were three of them and you did uh three hours a piece i estimated about 12 hours on that because you got to have prep work and then take down um listing maintenance let's say it took you one hour per week which i think is pretty kind uh actually i think i underestimated this number so let's say that your average market time was about four weeks. So let's say one hour per week, uh, four hours there. Offer review, probably a couple hours. Disclosures, a couple hours. Inspections that you got to be at or review or go over, up to four hours. Uh, closing process and picking up materials, you know, a couple hours there. And then again, it, within that six hours of marketing dedication that you got to do, I, I put about six hours. I could easily make this number 50 hours or 60 hours. But I said, all right, I think... I think on average, I probably do about 40 hours per listing, okay? So I went so far as to to then ask the next question. And, and, and by the way, most people agree about 40 plus hours is, is about right, okay? So that's what I found to be the most consistent answer was 40 hours, 40 hours or more. So I came out to about 40 hours with my own little breakdown. Then the next thing I asked 
in in a couple of groups was so if you're if you're at a listing presentation and you let the seller know what you charge in commission, when they come back and ask you how you arrived at that percentage or fee, what do you tell them? Right. And then I got answers across the board. It was like, I just tell them this is what I charge. Cause I know that's what my, what my worth is. And then I just tell them that great service isn't cheap or, or cheap service isn't great. Um, I tell them that, let's see, uh, that's the rate that my broker demands. I charge, not me. I have no right to change it. Uh, which I think is a cop-out answer, by the way. Um, it has to cover my advertising fees, my time, my gas, and my broker fees, okay? Uh, then I had uh, somebody posted a, a list of uh, 200 things that a real estate agent does to sell a house. Um, and then somebody else says, I break it down, marketing, photos, broker, and then my cut. Um, a, another person, which I think this is the most valid answer, by the way, talks about um, associated risk in addition to the actual expenses and time commitment that I have. And I'm paraphrasing because they wrote a nice long explanation and it was very detailed and, and productive. Mm -hmm. um, I've never had a problem explaining my cost uh, to sell their house. I just have to be confident. Um, I run my own business. I don't work for anyone. These are the services I provide and I just tell them this is what it is. And if they can find a, a discount brokerage, then go for it. Um, so it, here's my point in all this. My follow-up question to almost every single one of these was, yeah, 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 that's great. That's what you're telling the seller. Let's take it a step further then and dive into, before you even got to the listing appointment, you established that your services are worth X amount. How did you determine that what you offer, like you look at your time commitment, your your money output, your financial output, your your general exposure, all that stuff. How did you determine like if we go way, way, way back, hang on. I'm just going to Google this so that I can actually say something. Let's see. Google, um, how much do real estate agents charge to sell a house? Okay. So Google that. Let's get past all the advertisements. Okay, so this is this is from bankrate.com. It says the real estate commission is usually the biggest fee a seller pays between 5 and 6% of the sales price to sell your house, okay? So this is an independent source. I'm just going to use them as an example. So bankrate.com on a Google search says on average between 5 and 6%, all right? So let's say it's whatever. Let's say it's 6%. Way back when somebody started charging 6%, I feel like agents have maybe come to this understanding that they should expect a certain percentage, okay? And my question is, is that expectation, did they arrive at the commission amount that they charge and, and the amount that they think their services are worth based on their own independent, um, you know, probe of how much time they spend financial output risk and all this stuff risk and reward and and what they're going to ultimately put into each and every listing that they have or did they just charge that amount because a broker once told them to or somebody who came before them said well this is what you should charge and this is quote unquote standard or this is what we ask for or agents traditionally make this or you saw it on bankrate.com or whatever the hell it is and decided that this is what an agent should make this is what you should charge because that's the quote unquote worth of an agent. So all good so far. 
So I've done 40, about 40 hours in, in this is about a 40 hour commitment per listing. And then I ask all these agents how to go further. How did you actually come up with it? And the response to that was, well, how did I come up with what I'm worth? Uh, I, I, um, uh, let's see. Oh, that's a different group. Let me find where I was at. Which tab was I open on? Here we go. I break it down even further. Um, someone says, I don't want to talk about this because of antitrust laws. Uh, I'm in this quandary <laughs> as we speak. I don't know how to justify it. Uh, past experience determines my fee based on several factors. I asked what those factors are. Can't, nobody was, that person not able to explain it. Um, great question. I wonder what the commission percentage is. I'll have to dig more into that. I never thought of it that way. Um, so I say, I, I probe again. So to understand, like, how did you arrive at the number before you got to the seller's house? Like, how did you determine this is what you're going to ask for? And it's justified because, and the person says a great question, uh, knowing your worth, conveying your worth and knowing the cost of services you provide. And then the value you bring to the buyer and seller makes a difference. And I thought, okay, all of those are great, but I think you have to take it even a step further. So I was like, all right, I've never done this, by the way. So I just, I was like, I'm going to pull something out of my rear end, but see if I could come up with a good way. Cause everyone's like, know your worth. Don't, don't give up. Right. Okay, cool. So let's establish worth. So I went on to, um, I went on to a living wage calculator and I was just curious, like how, how much, so I'm in orange County, California. So is Ryan. And so I was like, well, how much do I have to make in orange County to live a comfortable life? So, so take the real estate out for a second. I get a salary job. I'm going to, you know, pay taxes and whatever comes out of that. What do I have to make as a salary, right? As a married man with three kids, what do I have to make as a salary to have a living wage, a good, a, a fair living wage in California? Now, keep in mind, I'm not talking about what the average or median income is out here. I'm saying if I want to be able to take two weeks off, I'm not going to go on a $20,000 vacation, but I might go like a weekend away, take some time off, be able to eat out with my my family every now and then. Like I want to live a comfortable life and uh, not feel like I'm strapped to my couch in between my working time. So a, a living wage in Cal in Orange County, California, according to this particular source on living wage dot uh, M-I-T dot E-D-U was $168,000 salary. Okay. Now that could be debatable. You and I both live in Orange County. I certainly have my opinion about it, but that's all right. I'll take it. It's so hundred. I, I agree. It's a little low. <laughs> so, but but I said all right. I'll I'll use that for for the sake of this exercise. I'll use that. Mm -hmm. So then I took that hundred and sixty eight thousand dollars, and I thought, all right. If if real estate was salary, if I was making a salary. And my goal was I just wanted to make a comfortable living wage, which, by the way, most real estate agents never make. Most real estate agents never make even a sustainable income. That's why we have such a huge fail rate, right? So most mm -hmm. agents are like, I want to make my millions, but they don't even set their goals to make a sustainable income. So let's just, you can do this for what's the, the living wage in your area. It could be 40 grand. It could be 300 grand. It doesn't matter. But for mm -hmm. me, it's 168000 where I'm at, supposedly, according to the site. So I thought, all right, so if it takes me 40 hours to complete one listing and I wanted to work a normal 40-hour week like any Tom, Dick, or Jane at a regular nine-to-five job, 
So I want to work a normal 40 hour week. I'm going to have work 52 weeks a year. I want my two weeks of vacation and I want to come out with my 168,000. Now I had to take into account that this isn't a salary job and there's marketing expenses and I got to cut in a broker and do all that shit. So in reality, I had to take, I had to bring back $275,000. I, I already did the math on this. I had to do $275,000 in GCI. So gross commission income. That's before the broker takes their split. That's before I deduct any marketing expenses, before Uncle Sam comes after me for their money, all that, right? And by the time I cut out, you know, the broker split, my marketing expenses and all that shit, I'm left with 168,000. And then from the 168,000, I pay Uncle Sam from that amount, just like any salaried person on 168 grand would, would pay, all right? Which brings us down to about 105 grand in net come home money, right? Take home money. You following me so far? I know you are because you're smart. So, all right. So, so I looked at it and I thought, all right, so 40 hours a week, how many deals does that mean I have to do at 40 hours a week? What I wanted to figure out is, is what is my actual worth per, what is my actual worth? Like, what would I have to charge in commission, Right. To be uh, knowing that my acquisition costs, because I know what those are, I, I hold 10% aside from every GCI from all my gross commission income. So if it's a $40,000 check, I take $4,000 out of that. And then that's, you know, that goes immediately into marketing to get the next deal and all that. Right. So I have it all broken down and I'm like, all right. So if I can, if one listing takes me 40, if one listing takes me 40 hours to do, that means I should be able to handle one listing in one working week. Okay. Now don't kill me. These are all averages, mm -hmm. but one listing in one working week, which means if I, if I account for my vacation, my two weeks of vacation, that means that I'm only going to do 50 working weeks. So I'm going to do 50 deals that year. So that's $50 million worth of production. So then I figured out, I got to do, you know, the math's a little bit, the math's not perfect on this, and I'm not gonna um, I'm not gonna argue about the very, 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 very specific numbers because this was just kind of a brainless exercise. But what I ended up doing was saying, all right, I have to do two hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars in GCI. If I account for my expenses and all this stuff, it came out to like, you know, whatever the fifty deals per year. It's fifty million dollars in production because I took the average sale price of the home out here times the fifty, and then I figured out, all right. What do I have? I take that 275 and divide it by the 50 million or the 52 million in production in sales volume, right? And 275,000 divided by that number brings me out to just over one half of 1%. It's like 0.6%. Mm -hmm. So if I wanted to make $168,000 a year, okay, so $275,000 in gross commission, whatever. And I wanted to make what would be considered a living wage in Orange County, California. I should be able to do that, including marketing expenses, including the cut to my broker, including everything. I should be able to do that for 0.6%. Six tenths of 1%. Now, that does it's not fair. And I know everyone's like, fuck you, James. That's bullshit. Okay, I agree. Because what it's not taking into account is the risk that agents take by putting out the time and the money without the guarantee of a reward back. 
So that's the big part that you say, well, how much more is that? Is it worth double, triple, quadruple? Does that mean that the, is that where we come up with the bankrate.coms five to 6% well, cut that in half? And so now it's worth five times more. Cause I, I take home. There's two, there's two things that are jumping out at me. All right. I knew this would get you going. One, so. one is that, um, and again, this is where we, like, we're talking about commodity based market. And that math is a very simplified, uh, you know, caveman version of the math that Zillow does. And the that math is, that, that is offensive and the math that, uh, <laughs> that, that Redfin in particular um, does, because guess, you know, guess what? Redfin's making uh, pretty good money with their 1%, whatever it is. So um, the, the point being is that, yeah, like if if you're if you are operating in a commodity based discount, you know, market, then that's that's probably pretty accurate. Dude, but um, think about that. Redfin's at Redfin will will do stuff for one percent, right? Yeah. Okay. And I and I I know listing agents at Redfin that are doing one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars a year on salary plus bonus for their mm -hmm. production. Okay. Right. Means they're probably doing fifty to seventy transactions per year, and Redfin's not taking their full one percent and paying that person. So think about this for a second, then. Take that 1% and then go, cool. So let's say that every listing agent has to do a minimum of 50 transactions, right? And our average price here in Orange County, California, as of right now, is a million dollars. That's the average price of a home in Orange County right now. So if you back into all the math, and I know you said this is a caveman version, but I want you to think <laughs> about it for a minute. Because do you, what do you think Redfin's margin is? You think they're a 40% margin? No. 30, 20? That means that think if you think about it this way, they they're paying one percent or they're getting paid one percent on a listing, let's say, right? If they're getting paid that one percent and and a listing agent with uh, with Redfin is making a buck fifty to two hundred thousand a year, that means that they're they're within that range of a of a living wage in Orange County, California, which means one could could say that Redfin might be taking sixty percent. Of that one percent, so six tenths of a point, just like this caveman came up with, and then, yeah. and then, they've got forty percent margin to play with, which we all know there has to be a, a good portion of that allocated to marketing, and then to infrastructure and to keeping the lights on, and then they make a margin off of that. If you took an additional ten percent, that brings you know and said, okay, that goes into marketing. Take another ten percent and put that into their support and their infrastructure and whatever, that leaves them with 20% margin. And I would argue they probably make less than 20% margin. So let's throw another 5 or 10% on there for miscellaneous shit. They still have a 10% margin, and that's only off of 1%. Mm -hmm. This caveman might be smart, bro. Yeah, that, well, that's, that's kind of my point, is that like even the rough math, um, you know, says that's workable, especially at, at scale. Um, the other variable that a lot of people don't consider is that um, when you hit a certain, you know, percentage of market penetration, um, like a Redfin or like Zillow, although they are different companies um, with arguably different objectives, um, you know, both these companies are public, so um, they can go to the public debt market and get 
really cheap money. Um, so this gets this good back to like the stock trading and um, and market kind of meme that like the market can can be irrational longer than you can stay solvent. And uh, that's that's precisely what uh, a Zillow or a Redfin has the ability to do that, you know, any old discount brokerage um, or agent um, has the ability to do, you know, they they can go years without making any money. It doesn't matter to them. Sure. Um, so they can quite literally starve you um, and suck all the oxygen out of the room um, because they they have the ability to go to the, the public markets and, and get really, really cheap debt. Um, and, oh, and the funny oh, part the way- is, is they <laughs> companies like Zillow have actually openly and transparently done it on the backs of the agents who are paying them money to do the damn marketing that an agent should know how to do to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of why it's like, oh, well, so and so is ruining the industry. Well, I mean, yeah, it's like get in line. There's there's a lot of people that are ruining the industry. Um, yeah. But anyway, that's that's something to consider, too, which, you know, very well, maybe an argument for like premium if you're going to do anything. Um, sure. If if you're going to if you want to compete um, in the true commodity. Now, this is not like premium agents make all kinds of concessions. I mean, mm-hmm. like they do ridiculous things for their clients that um, a lot of people would really roll their eyes at. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, those are the like that those are kind of like what champions do. Right. They do like the extra 20 percent. Um, everyone else practices, does double days, whatever it is in high school. Um, but the people that are really, really good, they do an extra 10 to 20 percent on top of that. Um, so that's what a premium agent can do. Um, and at, but it, the the advantage there is that you don't have to necessarily back in all these numbers and make it make sense. Because, sure. because what you're doing is you you actually I mean, what James is really getting around to here is like, why don't you enumerate your value? Like put in a step like when you go to buy an iPhone, I mean, do they justify the price of the iPhone? No, it's a premium product. They're telling you exactly the result and like all the things that you're going to get. If you want to drill really deep, you can look at this at the tech specs and that. But um, I mean, the most famous, you know, marketing tagline of, you know, any Apple product is you know, a thousand songs in your pocket. At yeah. the time, that was it. That was while there is some technical explanation to it. The value was much better described that way. You yeah. could be like, oh, well, it's two gigabytes in your pocket. Like nobody cares about gigabytes, but people did care, especially at that time, like a thousand songs in your pocket. Like how small is this thing? Yeah. Um, and and now it's, you know, everything is connected. Um, you know, you, you could talk to anybody on the planet uh, with this thing and it lasts all day on battery. And the but Apple thing. knows, but Apple also knows their margin. And I, I think the bigger, I think the bigger point, or excuse me, their cost, right? They know what margins right. they want to yeah, achieve, yeah, they, but they ultimately know their cost. And I right. think this is the part that too many agents haven't done is that people don't on average in this industry, the and and sorry sorry not sorry if this offends anybody the reality is is the barrier to entry to get into real estate is a fucking joke okay it is it it fucking costs no money you don't have to have any level of of specific education or trade skill to be able to get into this you pay a couple hundred bucks you pass a test uh, or you fail a test or you fail a test 15 times in 10 days and then it doesn't matter because 
the second you pass the test, you've got that license to kill. You can go out and sell a hundred million dollar house if you can sucker somebody into listing with you. The point is, is the the entry, the barrier to entry in this industry is a fucking joke. And the continuing education requirements are no better. Okay. Because of that, we don't see enough agents backing into numbers that are legit. I know, but and somebody already told me, James, your averages don't work because real estate's not at, uh, specific like that, and there's too many variations and variables. Look, the averages do work because I'm not I'm not telling you that I'm working in very specific exacts, right? Like maybe some of my listings are six hundred thousand, and some of them are two point four million. It doesn't matter. But if my average list price, my average price of a home that I sell on a transaction is a million dollars, and I look at the average amount of time that it takes me to work a transaction, then I can actually start backing into some legitimate numbers. And I can actually start figuring out what my cost, my actual financial cost is, right? And then you can start going, well, what's my time worth then? Now you mm -hmm. can actually start saying, well, what's my time worth? What is, um, what is it actually cost me to live to, to be comfortable in my life here? Now, I'm not saying that, for $168,000, let me just tell you right now, just clear the air really quick. Um, I think that's a shitty living wage in Orange County. Um, it's not easy to live on $168,000 salary in Orange County if you are married with three kids. I, I just, I already know that. And fortunately mm -hmm. for us, we're able to, to, you know, make more than that, which is great. But if I look at this living wage, calculator that's what that's what this calculator thing see it's like the zestimates like a goddamn mm -hmm. algorithm that somebody else came up with but my point is if you were to hypothetically just go in and look at a living wage calculation for wherever you are and then back yourself into what you would have to charge just to break even respectfully you would be ahead of 99% of agents who have never done such an exercise and tried to even make a slight effort to figure out what the hell their time is worth and what it actually costs them and where their margins are. If I know that I can actually make money, think about this. If I know I can actually make money at 0.6% commission, I could make money on that. That means that my break even is even lower. <laughs> let's say that 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 because that's a living wage okay cool so let's say that i don't have to make a living wage to keep the lights on i only have to do a hundred and twenty thousand dollar gross and 70 net or whatever the freaking math comes out to doesn't matter then maybe i only have to charge 0.3 percent and do the same number of transactions at an average price of a million i'm not saying that i that i don't believe i'm worth more my point is, is I don't think enough agents go through the exploration process to actually come up with answers that are legitimate. And the problem is, is real estate agents are up against who? We're literally up against fucking Zillow. It's not, it's not my brokerage is up against Zillow. No, you, the real estate agent, are up against Zillow because you, the real estate agent, might leverage tools from your brokerage and all that stuff. But guess who's cust guess who's real customer the brokers is you're the customer you the agent are the broker's real customer i know it's oh yeah every client and every listing and every buyer belongs to the broker yeah sure but it's the agent whose ass they're kissing because the broker is having conversations with those clients through you the agent you're the broker's customer they make money based off of your production right mm -hmm. so the agent 
not the broker. Sure, the brokers, oh, yeah, we've got to compete too. But the agents are really the ones who are trying to compete against Zillow, against Open Door, against Redfin, against when mm-hmm. Purple Bricks was around, against all these other fucking brokerages that are trying to do things different. I, I don't personally believe there's any such thing as a discount brokerage. I personally believe that there's brokerages that just choose to operate at different margins. And mm-hmm. some of them, or, or like you said, volume-based, right? But some of those right. discount brokerages probably have a bigger margin on their transactions because of the efficiencies that they're forced to create in their systems and in their marketing and in their acquisition costs. Why yeah. do agents not go through? And the, uh, so many agents, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I've, I've yet to meet the successful entrepreneur who has not gone through the cost of doing business analysis. You're out of business if you don't do it. But we don't do it in this industry. So I ask why. Why do you get to charge that? And agents' answers are, that's what my broker says. Or they do the three-penny rule. They're like, well, 1% goes to my broker, and then 1% goes to Uncle Sam, and then 1% comes to me, and then the one, you know, they're one penny, and then the one penny, I have to break that down because Uncle Sam wants to get paid, and then my wife wants to go buy shoes, and then my kids have to eat. and You know, and it's like, okay. But that's your fucking problem. What? That's not the consumer's problem. We have to do better I mean, than that. That's like Apple complaining about like import tariffs and stuff. Like, yeah, exactly, <laughs> man. But like, we bro, can, we, I'm here to buy an iPhone, not to get a lesson in international trade in the forex markets. Uh, why don't you just like <laughs> tell me what the thing's doing? Uh, how many songs do I get in my pocket? That's what I want to know. How many this year? I don't know, so, man. So anyway, that was my that was my kind of like big epiphany uh kind of exercise if you will where i've gone through i've gone through my own analysis i know what percentage i need to be at to break even but i was trying to think uh, at scale what's even like the most rudimentary basic exercise somebody in theory could go through to kind of figure out like the know your worth right if you just wanted to work a kind of like a you know, all these people, well, I'm available 24-7. Well, let me tell you, I do not want to be available 24-7. So what if I just want to work on average? You know, some weeks you might work 80 hours and other weeks you might work 10 because real estate kind of goes like that. But if you wanted to work on average 40 hours a week and make a living wage for your area, and I don't know, if for those of you who do listings, it only takes five hours to do a listing, then maybe you're going to do 600 listings in a freaking year because you only have to charge like a tenth of a point to be able to make a living wage in your area. My point is that calculation doesn't take into consideration risk and and actual experience and knowing, you know, knowledge of the hundreds of transactions you've been through already and all that kind of shit. So you have to kind of figure out what that arbitrary exponent is if you will that you want to multiple or multiple if you will that you want to that you want to put into the equation but i i would really encourage um i guess i'm talking directly to you the listener right now i would really encourage you to go through an exercise of really establishing what your worth is because our worth right now as agents as an industry our traditional worth is on the line and i don't think that our quote unquote traditional worth is uh is has ever really been justified uh and i think that most most agents out there are saying well this is my worth because my mentor told me this is what to ask for this is my worth because my broker told me this is what i have to charge this is my worth because i read an article on bank rate uh, sorry bank rate i'm not shitting on you i'm just 
uh, using your article as the example here, <laughs> but you know, because this is what I saw in an article that said, this is what agents should make. So I've now set that expectation, but I haven't justified it. I haven't mm -hmm. figured out why I'm worth that. And I could never back into that number because I've never gone through the exercise. You've got to go through the exercise of figuring out and, and track it. Businesses track how it, you think that Amazon doesn't track how long it takes to go from order online to fulfillment of order in one of their centers. Of course they do. That's how they know how much, like how much man hours or how much people hours or working hours it takes to satisfy X number of orders. Cause they know their picking time. They know the processing time for that actual order. They know the amount of time it's on average going to sit in a fucking warehouse before it finds itself on a truck. That's why they've strategically located all their distribution facilities. This is a real business. And if we want to protect the industry, we have to actually start treating it like a real business. I'm not here to argue whether 1%, 3%, 12%, a loaf of bread or a fucking pair of shoes is the right wage to charge for, uh, for your services. All I'm saying is whatever it is that you're charging, you should probably be able to back into it legitimately and you should treat it as an exercise as a business owner that you need to go through. I, I just don't know why we haven't why we're not having more of these conversations and I could look, I could blow sunshine up everyone's ass. Like we, like we hear on a bunch of other podcasts that are like, you know, this is the, this is the best podcast in real estate. And we can talk about all the shallow bullshit. And here's the 12 reasons that sellers don't pick an agent, whatever. <laughs> sure. Look, well, I'm happy to do all those episodes too, but I think we got to start having more real conversations in this industry that are challenging that push agents to, to think about why their existence even freaking matters. Yeah, well, I mean, what I'm hearing is that basically there are two there are two things that you really need to pull away from this, which is one, um, you know, be like a Apple, Amazon, and and Redfin, let's say, and understand what the behind the scenes math actually looks like and and why that is, and the second is you really, I mean, for some of these folks, like you really got to work on how you're presenting this to the client because they're not actually interested in the back end math. Um, that while that's useful for you, um, they want to know what they get out of it. I mean, that like, well, if you kind of get to like the basics of buying, so it's like, why do people buy or agree or decide to, to you know, enter into any type, type mm -hmm. of transaction, whether it's the buyer or the seller, uh, it's because they want to. And so if you, if you if you can't present a case where they come out of it thinking, oh, I want to do this, yeah. um, then that's that's your front end marketing issue. But on the other side of the equation, you kind of have to understand, like, uh, what exactly are you doing as an agent and what does that look like on, you know, in raw math? Like, how does this actually, you know, function? So that well, you and in have, front of a client, yeah. in front of that client or that prospect, when you're on a listing presentation, and this is where the real value comes into play. Sure, you got you to gotta work, like you said, you've got to work on how you present this to the client because you're not going to sit there and be like, well, you know, the gas is going to cost this. And I calculate that I'm going to do an average of 57 miles per transaction and you know, whatever it is, right? You're not going to go through all that. But if nothing else, if you know that I am breaking even, I, I'm at a net zero, I'm not losing money. I'm not advancing my savings account, but I can I can keep the lights on and I'm at a net zero at this exact percentage or this exact dollar amount. 
Because I would argue that it doesn't even necessarily have to be a specific percentage. If you you might find that, like, if you if you average everything out, you might find that okay, it's uh, seven thousand dollars per transaction or whatever it is. Great. If whatever percentage of commission I'm charging is going to make me less than seven grand, and that's just an example, then at least I know my walkaway point. And this is the this is the problem that I think a lot of agents don't give themselves permission or authority to negotiate down to a certain point if they have to or need to or even want to to take a transaction because they don't actually know what they're like like let's say that bank rates three three percent or uh, five to six percent let's say bank rates five to six percent is like their you know thing that they said right that mm -hmm. was is that what we had that was the range five to six percent is what on average is going to cost sell a house okay great if that's true i would argue that a lot of agents would think that if they negotiate a commission for under five percent they're fucked when in reality they may be able to negotiate a total combined buy sell commission for three percent and still be profitable but they don't know that because they haven't gone through the exercise and I, and i don't i don't know what the number is i don't and and it's i mean because we all operate differently and there's no standard in this industry you can all choose to p operate whatever you want to do some agents mm -hmm. might say, I don't really give a shit. I I'm taking I'm taking this percent and 20 percent of the seller profits. You know, like you can literally structure your shit however you want. Like that's mm -hmm. the great part. And yeah. that's the entrepreneurial side of the business. But I think that I think that. Yes, we have to be able to articulate better in front of the seller, but we can't articulate anything at all if we don't know where our walkaway is. So when somebody says to me, James, why is it that? You're asking me X. I would rather you charge me Y. Then I say, you know what? I'll tell you what. I can't do Y, but I could do Z. And I would I would love to go less than Z, but candidly, I know the amount of time it's going to take me, and I'm a, I'll spare you the details. I know the amount of time on average it takes me to close a transaction. I've got a few thousand dollar output marketing expense, like whatever. You could throw a couple little things. You don't have to go into all the intricacies. You mm -hmm. know, it's going to take me X. It's going to take me. I know the average amount of time I have to work behind the scenes to get a deal done. I've got a few thousand dollars in marketing expenses. I'm taking risk on the mm -hmm. front end because I'm putting that out there without the guarantee of a return. Remember, I only get paid at the end when it closes. And if it doesn't, then I'm out. Um, but I'll tell you what, uh, I can't do it for Y, but I could do it for Z. And below Z, I, I literally, I'm just not making any money. And, and I, I respect your choice. You can go wherever you want. But now because I've gone through the exercise and you make up your own exercise, I don't give a shit because I've gone through the exercise, though, of like figuring out this is what I have to be at to even make a livable wage in the area. Right. Isn't it great? Like or, or like I say, in the goal setting, the need, the want and the push, the need that I have, like the amount of money I need just to be able to pay my bills every month, the amount of take home dollars I need. To be able to pay my bills, isn't it nice that I now have that number so that I can back into what my production needs look like, right? And I can figure it out. And now I know where my walkaway is. Nobody knows where their walkaway position is. So you can't negotiate up or down to a number if you don't know where your where your freaking uh tipping point is from you know profit to break even to negative. Because mm -hmm. I'll take a break even deal all day, by the way. If it's true that business breeds business, and that's been my experience as well, I'll take a deal that I don't make any money on. I'm not going to lose money, but from, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anyway, that's my really long rant about about that. So.
wrap that up in a bow and whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, it's an important exercise for folks to go through. Now, probably going to get all kinds of calls now from attorneys and you know antitrust violations and all that stuff. And just to clarify, oh, yeah. um, there's no there is no standard, there is no expectation that you charge a certain amount or that somebody pays a certain amount. It is totally up to you to negotiate. Um, I just have I've referenced a couple of articles. I've referenced things that other people have mentioned, and I gave I based examples off of some third party resources, like I mentioned, to come up with. Uh, some talking points. And I think, uh, I don't know, I mean, I think we can kind of wrap on this. I give you a chance for a final thought, I, but, but I think that the, the prevailing message, my closing thought on this would be, I want to make sure that agents understand if you truly want to walk in the entrepreneurial shoes, if you truly want to walk in the shoes of an actual business person and run your business like a business and play the game, it takes more than faking it till you make it on social media. It takes more than all the bullshit that people are putting out there. If you're going to be in business, then you need to operate like a business. And one of the, mo the most core philosophies, one of the most core and foundational exercises, like, like even look at the freaking Shark Tank show, dude. It's like, what's the first thing that they ask people? You know, how, what, what was your sales volume last year? And great, what's your margin? And great, what's your cost? What's your client acquisition cost? If we don't know some of these basics, we can't, we just can't operate a business effectively. Which, by the way, I think before closing out, we, you know, it's worth mentioning that, um, you know, there's a lot of people that work at Expedia that do quite well. Yeah. Um, so while, yeah, I mean, is being destroyed by the likes of Zillow, et cetera. Um, your greatest uh, attribute as a human being is th that to be able to adapt uh, to changing, you know, market dynamics, to changing, you know, whatever it is. And so, like, the idea here is, like, that may not be you, and you need to be honest with yourself enough to realize, hey, either, like, I'm in this boat or I'm in this boat. And I don't think it's I don't I don't think it's a bad decision one way or the other. I think that there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of awesome things that can happen. But um, what is bad is if you don't kind of face that particular reality as the agent that you want to be, or you know the job that you want to have. Maybe maybe you've got kids and like you just absolutely can't commit to mm -hmm. the type of time that it takes to be like a full time like you know, independent business owner. Like it's incredibly hard. I mean, take it from two people that have done it multiple times. <laughs> yeah. It sucks even with or without kids, but especially with kids. And so, you know, use the exercise uh, to be able to, A, you know, obviously come up with your number, but then also to have like some reality chat with yourself and be like, hey, like maybe Redfin is a good opportunity for me right now. Like stop, yeah. stop ignoring things just because people say, Oh, well, they're, they're ruining the industry. But like, Oh, like maybe they're going to be leading the industry. Like in which case you might just want to be on that ship. Um, or you, again, you, you can have equally valid, uh, point for that saying like, screw that. Here's my numbers. I feel like I can be a lot more competitive now. Um, I'm going to get more aggressive with how I'm marketing. Um, my value in which yeah you could absolutely crush it I'm, lo I'm losing you just a little bit there but um 
I, I think I'm catching most of that. And where where I'm one of the things that I take out of out of that and it kind of like provokes another thought of, you know, we're we kind of train ourselves to be resistant to change. We train ourselves to be resistant to any level of adversity and disruption because it, it freaks us out because we don't know what's happening. And, you know, it's funny. I, I always tell people I, I don't buy leads. Right. I teach lead generation through reroll. Right. So we have we have some programs and stuff that we teach lead generation. But one of the reasons I don't I don't buy leads and I don't sell leads to people through reroll is because I'm more interested in, in understanding the how. And you know, this is a whole other probably ramble session, so I won't go too deep into this, but it's, it's kind of the idea that, you know, it's better for you instead of purchasing leads, it's better for you to go and hire a company that, that sells you leads, not so that you can actually get the leads and work the leads, but so that you can better understand how they're going through the process of the acquisition themselves so that you can try to figure out how to duplicate or replicate or kind of be the best copycat of that. Um, right. So that you can Mm -hmm. be independent and figure it out yourself. I've, I don't, I don't buy leads, but I've definitely hired companies that, that do lead generation because I want to kind of figure out like what they're doing. And as agents, it's interesting because like, for example, we talk about like how disruptive, you know, let's say Zillow is being to the industry and how much harm they may or may not be doing. I mean, really? I mean, I, I, there's a lot of things about Zillow that I don't like, but for everything that they do wrong, I sit there and I go, Jesus Christ, are you kidding me? Like I can go get so much information for free off of their website, like reporting for free off of their website that an agent could, uh, they could literally charge hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for the type of reporting that you can get off of their site that you could benefit from as an agent and a business owner. And, and also you could, you could look at how they do you think that Zillow or Redfin or Open Door or Trulia or Homes or Realtor, any of these dot coms, do you think that when the market adjusts that they don't have to go back to the figuring it out? They all do. But it's it's part of their business model to figure it out. It's it's not just their business to find leads, get leads, and sell leads or close leads. Part of their business model is dedicated specifically to figuring out how to generate leads. And too many real estate agents just don't want to do that. So, but it, again, it all comes back to this idea of like, if you know what time commitment and and monetary investment you have to make to acquire a contact, and how many contacts it takes to to get an appointment, and how many appointments it takes to get a contract, and how many contracts to close a deal, then you can actually start figuring out your cost of doing business, and you can start making actual decisions like a real business owner. And I think I think more agents will find success, um, if nothing else, a lot less failure if we start pushing one another to operate as business people. Any closing yeah. thoughts on your end? Um, I'm 100 percent on board there. I think that, uh, you know, figure out which camp you're in. Do so by going through some kind of exercise where you understand what goes into, um, you know, what you make and what you, you know, should make and then, uh, get better at figuring out how to communicate the value, uh, and use examples from the industry that you're interested in. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you'll find that the, the vast majority of the successful ones didn't cheat to get there. Um, they figured the cheat code out, which is relaying the value to the, to the customers so much so that, um, that they just raise their hands and they're just like, Hey, uh, I want to be on board. Like this looks interesting to me. So do more of that. Cool. Well, Hey, um, rerun nation. Listen, uh, 
hopefully you're getting some value out of this. I, I greatly appreciate you being here, Ryan. Thanks for rambling with me. Um, we'll we'll be doing a lot more of these, uh, of course. If you've got anything, any feedback, any comments, concerns, questions, topics that you want us to either ramble on or talk about, or hey, maybe you've got an opinion to share and you want to hop on here and ramble with us, shoot me an email, James at Rera. That's James at Rera.com. R-E-R-A-W, just like it sounds, real estate raw, right? So James at Rera.com. Hit me up. Check out Rera.com for for all kinds of uh, tools, resources, and and just you know stuff that we can give you access to or exposure to that may be beneficial to your business. And, um, yeah, you know, oh, I guess the last thing I always forget to do this part, but make sure that you, whatever, whatever podcast streaming app you're using to listen to this, um, if you're, if you're loving the content, if you're getting value out of this, do me a favor and, uh, slam five stars on there, write us a nice review, make us feel pretty. And, um, you know, that helps us, uh, get, get in front of more folks. All right. And if you hate what you're listening to, then just get the hell out of here and just leave us alone. Anyway. All right. Just do it anyway. Yeah. 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 Do it anyway. That's great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so if you're loving it, we'd really appreciate uh, a five-star review from you and um, just help us uh, continue getting the the word out there so that we can change as many agents, uh, businesses as possible and just have positive influence and growth together. All right. Remember something real agents work. Be one of them. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks, man.